Good morning, everyone. My name is Carolina Gancharenko, and I am a senior business major. Um, such a privilege to be here. I remember when I was 13, I had a dream to study abroad. Um, I come from a country called Belarus, and we have a, this country um, has a communistic background, so uh, we don't have any private schools or Christian schools. When I was 13, I got to visit Indiana Wesleyan, and I saw the scriptures on the walls, and I heard the professors pray before classes, and I thought, that was as close to heaven as it can get. So I decided I will pray every day to be able to study here. And somehow I did end up here, and I'm so thankful to be here. America is such a blessed country. You guys have so many opportunities, so take all of them. Um, I'm glad to be a senior because I was one of those freshmen that you would want to hug and cry. Um, I had to ask people to take me from elder to the student center, and I would write all of my papers in Russian, and then um, me and my two closest friends at the time, Jamie and Google Translate, would translate it the whole night until the morning, and eventually I would hand papers to the professors, and there would still be a few Russian words that they would mark as they didn't mark as extra points, I was hoping, but... <laughs> so I'm really excited to be, to be a senior, because I'm, I'm done with not being able to write papers. Um, I'm really thankful for the people who pretty much adopted me into their families, like Gary and Connie and Kim and Roger. They might be somewhere here today. Um, so, such a privilege for me to be here today. Before I start, I would love to pray. Father God, I am so thankful for your presence here. Holy Spirit, take over this place from the very first row until the very back row. Walk between the rows. Have your freedom here. Unlock every heart and fill every single heart with hope. May my words deliver the truth that comes from your heart and use me as your voice today. I thank you. I love you. Amen. Um, some of you heard my story that I shared last year about my family and my church. And um, my family is such an amazing family. I grew up among people of passion who were giving up everything for God. There was nothing that they did not surrender to God. Um, my grandparents paid such a high price for my generation to be able to know Christ. My grandfather was in prison for five years for being a Christian. My dad, when he was 20 years old, that's when the Soviet Union broke apart. So he um, planted a church. He's still pastoring it. And he created such a safe place for everyone who's around him. We lived in such a chaos because of the persecution and still are living, but it never felt unsafe. As I remember my, um, my childhood years, it never felt unsafe because my parents had something inside of them that cultivated this peace into the environment. So I remember my parents would get a call from somebody and really bad news, something terrible has just happened. They would gather us together and we would pray as a family. I'm gonna show you a picture of my family. Um, we'd pray and then when we we're done, um, they would send us upstairs. As kids, we would go upstairs and they would stay there and literally pray for the whole night until 5, 6 a.m. And as I'm walking upstairs to my bedroom, I'm thinking, I am so safe because I know that my parents are praying. And it is amazing when you have people like that in your life who create such a safe place for you by whose faith you can live. But that's not always the case. 
it is so easy to burn in the crowd when there's some people around you who, are keep, who keep firing you up. And because of them, you are burning. And there would be a huge conference, and speakers would come, and they would preach, and you make those amazing decisions, and you, have, you feel the fire inside of yourself. But then Monday morning comes, the speakers are gone, and the fire is gone. Or the fire is so small that you cannot sustain by yourself. So what I learned, if I want to be this passionate person for Jesus, what I have to learn is how to sustain this fire and fight my own battles when there is nobody around me. I wish I could say that I learned it the easy way, but I, I didn't. David seemed to be the person who understood this art of strengthening himself in the Lord so well. He was anointed as a king, but rejected by Saul. So he wasn't yet a king, and he had to hide in the land of the Philistines because Saul wanted to kill him. So Philistines are going to fight against David, against Saul, I'm sorry, against Israelites, and they asked David to join them. So they're, so they're all going to fight against Israel. And then halfway through, the Philistines are telling David, we're sorry, we changed our mind. You might turn against us during the battle, so you better go home. So David has just been rejected by Israelites, his own people, rejected by Philistines even. He's going back into the town where he lives, him and six, 600 mighty men. He goes there, and what he finds there is that the town is burned to ashes. His wives and kids are gone. Everyone is gone. And the Bible says that they cried out loud. They wept until they had no more strength to weep. Can you imagine 600 mighty men, as tough as they can get? They've been into multiple battles, and now they're seeing everything that's happened. So they're crying and weeping out loud until they have no more strength to weep. How bad must something get to be able to cry out loud until you have no more strength to weep? And now those mighty men are talking about stoning David. So imagine you were David, you have just been rejected by Israelites, Philistines, your own army. On top of that, your wives and kids are gone. He has so many things he could have done. He could have said, God, why? God, I am actually, you have anointed me as a king, so what I'm supposed to be doing is sit on the throne. Instead, I'm experiencing rejection from every single area of my life but that's not what he does. What he does, it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Or David found strength in the Lord his God. Your ability to find strength in God will determine whether you'll be able to sustain something that God gives you or not. When it's only you and your Goliath in front of you and there is nobody who is watching, there's nobody who is encouraging you and tell you how to fight. It's just you and this, and this rejection that you experience. The decision to run into the presence of God is so crucial. So he runs into the presence of God because the presence of God is supposed to be the place where you build yourself up. Everything has been broken, everything that has been stolen, you take it back, all the nutrients from God's presence, and you put it back together. You bring your broken pieces and God fixes it and then you're able to go fight and win. This is what David did. They went and they fought Amalekites and they brought everything back, everything that has been stolen. In my life, I've experienced something very, very similar. I, 
I'm here during the school year, and then I go back home for summer. So the year after my sophomore year, I was so excited to go back home because my dad was invited to speak in a few conferences, and he was taking us with him, and um, so excited. So I come back home, and my dad was about to turn. Uh, was, we were getting ready for my dad's 43rd birthday. So three days before his birthday, my mom comes one morning, rushes into my room, and she... Uh, she's panicking and she's yelling, Carolina, call the ambulance, something's wrong with dad. So I come into my dad's bedroom and I see that um, my dad is half conscious. He doesn't have control of his limbs and he's trying to say something so hard, but everything that's coming out doesn't make any sense. That morning he had a stroke. I went to the hospital with him and at 2 p.m. the same day he had a second stroke. Definitely the darkest time of my life, the darkest, the, the most horrible time of my life. The doctors say that there is no hope. If somehow, somehow he will stay alive, he'll never be able to, to move. He'll be paralyzed. We wept until we had no more tears to weep. Could not stay awake because we couldn't go to bed couldn't fall asleep because of the nightmares, and eventually nightmares and reality merged together, and you couldn't tell which one is where. But we were fighting with honor, coming to the presence of God, praying, praying until we had no more prayers left, until we had no more voice, no more words. And God was so merciful. God was so good to us. My dad started getting better. And I was able to go back here for my junior year. I was sure I would not be able to go back. But as he was getting better, he was able to um, start moving, moving around a little bit. He started to um, speak very simple words, but he did have to learn um, how to speak all over again. And he was able to go back home. So I came here. And you would think that the battle is over. You know, he's getting better. But I think the second part was even worse for me than the first one. The first one, I felt so shocked that I had no offense against God. I was just there praying, just asking for mercy. But then I came here, and what I felt like is I have been robbed of everything that I have. I was doubting absolutely everything, everything that I've learned during my whole life. The word stroke in Russian is insult, which is literally translated as insult. It's like my whole family and I, we've been insulted, robbed from, robbed, like something came, some kind of storm came, and now the earth is shaking. And it's such, such a weird state. And I had so many questions to God. God, why did you allow this to happen? Out of all the people, out of all the people I know, my dad should have been the, the last person who, who should have had a stroke. God, why did you allow this to happen? Why, why, why? I don't understand. There is no logical explanation. And I feel, I feel like I need the answers because I have a point. I have a really good point. God, why did you allow this to happen? Without understanding it, my questions have been like, have been like those little bricks that were building up a huge wall between me and God. It's like a cell that locks you. You come into the presence of God, or at least try to. You come in there, and everything you have is those unanswered questions. And you say, God, either you answer those questions, or I can't talk to you about anything else. It's something that's sitting between us, and either you're answering them, or I'm sorry, I just, 
there's nothing to talk about. I heard a story about um, a Ukrainian woman. You guys probably have heard with everything that's happening in Russia and Ukraine. Um, one Sunday morning, there was a Sunday service in one of the Ukrainian churches when pro-Russian separatists came to the church and took four men out. They took them outside of the city, they tortured them, and they killed them. And one of those men was 41 years old, and he had eight kids. I'm going to show you the picture of his family. So his wife is left now with eight kids, and she was asked, what is going on in your life? How are you feeling right now? And this is what she said. She said, I had so many questions to God. So many questions that they wear me out. All the time I ask God, how did you allow this to happen? Why do I have to be a widow? Why do my kids have to be orphans? I left with no income. I don't have anything left without my husband. Why did you allow this? God, did you allow this to happen? And I see no way to redeem this. So as she, as this beautiful woman is crying and saying this, she's saying, but those questions wear me out and I end up in a miserable place because my questions, they perpetuate the cycle of hopelessness and they end up being more miserable than ever before. So what I choose is I know that there is one thing that I cannot doubt and it is the goodness of God. I know that God is good. So what I choose is I choose to put my questions aside, run into the presence of God and allow him to heal me because that is the only way how I can feel better. This story blew me away. She says, there is one thing you cannot doubt. You know that it is okay to doubt. It's okay to doubt things around you. But there is one thing that you cannot afford to doubt. It is the goodness of God. God is so infinitely good. So infinitely good. He does not send the sicknesses into your life. He is good enough to be able to redeem it and use it as something valuable in your life. But Jesus was a perfect representation, perfect image of God the Father. And he never, he never cursed people with sicknesses to teach them anything. So I know that God is perfectly good. So now I have a choice to put my questions away and run into his presence or hold on to my questions and keep being in this dry, miserable, hopeless place. Proverbs 18.10 says that the name of the God is a strong tower where righteous run and are safe. Just listen to that. The name, the name of my God is a mighty tower where I can run and I can be safe. If the name of God is mighty tower, the safe place, I need to do everything to run in there. But as I run there with my questions, they're so heavy and so bulky. And I come right to the entrance of this mighty tower that is safe, the only safe place in the desert. I see that the doorway is too narrow. So I don't fit in there while trying to take my questions with me. So I have a choice to put my questions down, get into the safe place, and let God heal me. Or I can choose to hold on to my questions because I have every excuse to do that and I feel justified, and I feel like I have a point in this argument with God, and it is a really good point, and all my questions are legitimate questions. I'm not just making them up. Why did my dad have to have a stroke? 
Why? The person who is serving you the whole life, why? I just want the answers. But those questions is the very thing that perpetuates the cycle of hopelessness and takes me into a more miserable place than I've ever been before. So, the answer is to take those questions and put them on the altar here. Bring them as a sacrifice. Now, what's a sacrifice? The sacrifice is only a sacrifice when it actually costs you something. David said that I won't give God something that costs me nothing. Which means, if you give somebody something you don't really want, that is not a sacrifice. If you're putting the change that's in your pocket into the offering basket, just because there's nothing else that you can buy in the store or the seed store with that amount, that is not a sacrifice. If you really want something and you really want to keep it, but you choose to give it away, that is a sacrifice. The Bible mentions, the Bible mentions um, especially in Psalms, that there is times when you need to give God praise and there are times when you need to bring God the sacrifice of praise. Might seem like the same thing, but it is completely two different things, two completely different things. Imagine that um, a sport team, a basketball team, for example, they just won their game, so they go into the locker room and they won. So automatically, their response, they are the praise just rising up from that place. That's called giving God praise because they won. But then, the same team has just lost their game. They go back to the locker room, and giving praise seems like the last thing you want to do, but you still bring God this praise. That's called a sacrifice of praise. It costs you something. It actually costs you something to bring it and put it on the altar. Those questions that I have cost me absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. Biggest battle of my life, biggest question of my life, why? And I put it on the altar like this woman did because they were wearing her out. So I would rather not be justified. I would rather keep my heart pure. Having no offense against God is one of the greatest things you can have. Having nothing against God. There's so many questions that we face. I'm sure each of you, things you've experienced as a child or things that you are experiencing right now. God, why did, why did this thing happen? Why, why did it have to happen? Why did you allow this to happen? And honestly, I don't know. All I know is I cannot afford to hold on to those questions. So I choose to lay them down on the altar, bring God a sacrifice, and walk into the safe place. This is what hope looks like. Hope looks like my questions are the only thing that I have now, but I'm putting them down and I'm walking into this safe place because I know, because somewhere deep inside my soul is anchored in the truth that God is able to redeem my pain. You know that there is nothing that God cannot redeem, nothing. I don't know how he's gonna redeem the situation with a Ukrainian woman, I don't know but I know that he can. I had to do in my, this is what I had to do in my life with my dad. Every single time I prayed last year, and still sometimes do, this question why is coming and waving the hand in front of my face saying, hey, remember me? Remember me, why did God allow this to happen? So 
what am I going to do? I make a decision. I am pushing this question outside of my prayer room, and I say, God, I want the answers so much, but I want your presence more than I want the answers. One day I hope I'll look back, and because God is a redeemer, I'll be able to say, this is why everything happened. This is why I'll be able to give you all of the reasons why things have happened. For now, I just hold on to the hope and the truth that my God is infinitely good and that there's nothing, nothing that can shake my faith. God is infinitely good. So you choose to put down your questions and hope that he redeems your pain. And he does. Comes into the very darkness and gives you hope. And it's your choice to hold on to this hope or hold on to your questions. As you're holding to the hope, you have to know that God never, never asks you. Todd White says this um, phrase. He says, God never asks you to give up something that you never meant to be anyways. You never meant to be a slave to your questions. You never meant to be enslaved by your own questions to God. Why? 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 That's not your master. So you lay down something because you don't want to be a slave to that. Bob Jones says that dogs of doom guard the door of your destiny, which means before you experience the mountaintop, you're going to go through the lowest valley, and you better hold on to this hope that God is good and that he redeems pain. Because if you don't, you might stay there for longer. Your ability to fight those private battles when nobody is watching and the decisions that you make when there is nobody is around will determine where you're going to end up. And if the dogs of the doom guard the door of your destiny, you want to ignore the dogs and walk straight into the door of your destiny. This is who God is. He redeems the pain. Redeems the pain and leads you into something that is so much more than you have ever imagined. I see redemption in my life with everything that happened to my church. Went through so much persecution and so much. And I look back and I see the redemption that God gives us. I see that the church is flourishing and growing because of everything we've been through. I see young people who are rising up and they are so strong in God and their faith is so unshakable because of the pain that we've experienced. God has given us so much joy right now. One day I'll be able to look at everything that happened to my dad. I'll look back and I say, God, I know why this all happened. One day I know God will redeem the pain. It is your responsibility to run into the presence of God and hold on to him, knowing that he is so infinitely good. Infinitely good. And you know, guys, living life with a passion, being able to... Being able to fight those battles is what allows you to sustain the passion that God gives you. You are responsible for stewarding this passion, and you won't have enough strength to sustain it unless you fight those battles and make those decisions to run into the presence of God. I believe that living a radical life, passionate life for Christ, is for every single person, every single Christian. You don't have to be a ministry major or a pastor to be passionate for Christ. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you can be a stay-at-home mom who's teaching her kids to intercede for the nations while they're eating their breakfast. If you are a business person, you can build churches in the places where churches' buildings are burned to ashes every year. 
If you're a nurse, you can bring hope by just being present in the critical care, critical care unit. Radical life is for every single Christian, for every single one of you. So what you have to do is find a safe place in God's presence. Strengthen yourself. Go, fight, win, and then live this passionate life for Christ for the rest of your life. Because God is so worth giving up everything you have. Everything you have. The sacrifice is so worth it. And in the long term, the only thing that's going to matter is what you have invested into eternity. One day we'll come in front of God and we'll say, Here, God, I gave you my best talents. I gave you my pain, my questions. Gave you all the best that I had. Brought it and put it in front of your feet. And I crown you with the crown that I have on my head. Be glorified. I want to pray for you. God, you said that nobody who put hopes in you will be put to shame. So I ask you to give us this assurance in our hearts that you are so infinitely good and that there is nothing, nothing that can make us doubt that. I ask you to give us the strength to put our questions on the altar, walk into this very safe place of your presence from where we get our strength and then go and fight our battles so that we can live the passionate and radical life for you because you're worthy of it all. Yeah, thank you, God, for your presence. And would you please make my generation, these people who are sitting here, would you make us a mighty army that will go and conquer the land for you and do crazy, amazing things for you. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you.